Welcome back to CodingCat.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Brought to you by Cloudinary. Build faster with AI-powered image and video APIs. So welcome back, perfect peeps, to CodingCat.dev podcast. Um, we're, we're clearly, uh, if you saw the beginning, I hope it's different than 2023 because uh, we're in the works of redoing them all. So I uh, just wanted to say hello to everyone for the new year. Uh, it's uh, recording season in our new year, finally. Typically, we have a lot of pre-recordings that happen at the end of 23 that'll cycle over. Uh, but I believe this is our first one of 2024. So happy new year, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) Today on the show, we have Brad Frost. How's it going, Brad? Hey, thanks for having me. I I hear we might be learning a little bit more about like design systems and things. But first, we are Mm -hmm. going to... (laughs) We're going to... We're going to... First, well, I should say first, go blue. I wore a little Michigan. Oh, you had to. We didn't even... finally settled it. I didn't wear the hat. I didn't want to feel like one of those people but so so Brittany is a huge Alabama fan I am a huge Michigan fan we played in the Rose Bowl got to win that and then we also tried to give it to it but it didn't it didn't a lot of people have said like that was the natty like in their opinion so I'm I'm actually fine with it everybody deserves their turn on top (laughs) we'll see you next year in the playoffs (laughs) congrats and sorry for your loss <laughs> Look at that. Uh, that's fun stuff. Um, so yes, without further ado, welcome, Brad. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, longtime fan. Uh, I've written about atomic design systems on Coding Cat before with some web components and things like that. And it's it's all stirred on by you. So uh thanks, thanks for putting that content out and helping the design community. Brittany is a huge design nerd, so I'm sure the majority of the talk is going to be with you and Brittany. But first, uh, before we get started, I just want to learn a little bit more about Brad and kind of what got you started in in design and development and, and that whole side of the house. Can you take us in the Wayback Machine to, to how it all began? It all began in a small town called Oil City, Pennsylvania, which Ooh. is... <laughs> uh, but... That is my hometown. But uh, no, I think sort of fast forwarding, grew up in Oil City. I went to university at uh, James Madison University. So I, I don't really have any opinion on on Michigan versus Alabama. <laughs> I'm sorry. But um, uh, we did actually win our football championship while I was there. But I, I wasn't super plugged in to, to that world. So I was with a bunch of dirty hippies playing in a basement uh for music for hours on end so (laughs) you you're probably similar with my son he calls it sports ball how was sports Sports ball ball. yeah no no i i you know i'm i'm from pittsburgh effectively and so steelers grew up grew up around that so it's 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 faded a little bit it's like a full-time job i don't know how you oh my gosh yes that's why why. it's it's not necessarily for like lack of interest or that i don't care enjoy it (laughs) like it's only so much time in the day as i've learned so 100 but anyways i digress so i i i went to to college i started out as a music major ended up um and played in a band uh in in college and of course had to make the website for the band and all of that stuff and uh i switched over to a major called media arts and design where we had a uh, photoshop class and a dreamweaver class and a flash class oh, and, dreamweaver uh oh, yeah right? it was amazing so kind of as part of that uh, that was kind of what i i got interested in and I think it was, there were a couple alumni that came in a couple weeks before we graduated and where they worked at AOL in Washington, DC at the time, which, you know, at the time they were like, oh, wow, you, you all did it. And they basically uh, recommended uh, designing with web standards by Jeffrey Zeldman. So ordered that, sat unemployed in my sister's apartment after graduating and read that consumed that and i was like oh this is this is something and also everything that i learned up to now was maybe wrong or whatever but <laughs> but that's kind of what what got me started and and eventually sort of got a job at at uh 
agency, moved to New York City, worked at kind of e-commerce agencies, but eventually moved to um, an agency called RGA uh, in New York. And I was hired as a mobile web developer. And this is like late 2009. So it's like that iPhone had just kind of come out. Oh, yeah. um, the landscape was was a lot different, but like the whole kind of web world, aside, aside from like, you know, a really, really, really small pocket of people were really kind of neck deep in creating experiences that were optimized for mobile devices. So I got to like work on like Nike.com site that gets sent to like Blackberries and stuff. And it was, it was really fascinating. Um, but that's really what what sort of began my journey. So I'm, I'm a front end developer by trade. So HTML, CSS, presentational JavaScript, and that continues to hold true today. That's my sort of focus. The yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and yeah, but but sort of finding myself sort of in this world where even more fractured than today's, you know, browser landscape and stuff yeah. like that, helping people create experiences um, for for all these devices. And that kind of got me into around the same time things like Bootstrap were starting to come out, this idea of more sort of component-driven development and design. It's like really just these ideas. But in my world, it was through the lens of what became known as responsive design, right? Mm -hmm. So we were creating these experiences that had to work well on uh, mobile devices, desktops. And then I even got to to work on a thing um, on uh, Nike's forthcoming iPad.Nike.com <laughs> whenever like that was released. We didn't know like what it what it was per se, but they, you know, gave us like the dimensions and all of that stuff. So that when the iPad launched and people go to Nike.com, they get this oh my kind of optimized. Like that's pretty a, wild. Pretty that's wild. An interesting screen size, huh? Yeah. 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 So, so it was really cool kind of being there at that time and sort of yeah. figuring out how to make things pragmatically uh, kind of work on these different screen sizes. And of course, Ethan Marcotte came out with, you know, this idea of responsive design, which is, uh, we had been like, we're like, ah, there's a name for it now. That's great. Um, how many, how many but, tables did you take out of HTML to like actually, you know, transfer things into responsiveness? Yeah. I mean, it, it was really wild and, and you like, that was how, especially mobile websites were created. It was like very, very old school and very quirky and very complex and yeah being from the kind of school of zeldman kind of coming in with more of like a web standards attitude you know sort of strong semantics and progressive enhancement and all that stuff is it, it was really fun uh to to sort of help crack that mobile code i'm sure that introduced you to a lot of complexity about how the web evolved like from then until now but as you were starting like seeing the differences in what the web is and then how it looks on mobile and then moving to tablet building those responsive web design principles yeah, yeah it was uh, you learn not to trust a lot it's like you <laughs> learned how to you learned how to like you know and we still see that attitude today so you know it works best in in chrome and like all of this stuff and it's just like man like it, build things resiliently and you'll get a lot of mileage out of it. It's, it's, it is really fascinating that, it, I don't know. I, I took it as like a really, you know, great challenge to be like, how can we realize the potential of the web, which is to, you know, give information, some functionality to everyone on the planet right? Here's this new class of devices that are sort of rolling out or classes of devices that are rolling out. How do we marry that beautiful, you know, idealism of the web with this exploding landscape that's like literally transforming the planet? And it was, yeah. it was like a really, really fun time. 
It's like a beautiful and novel. <laughs> it's not just three device sizes anymore. Like you have to build those responsive design. Like you can't just make a mobile, a tablet and a desktop site anymore. Like yeah. you have to deliver to all of your users and make it accessible and usable by everyone and get that content. I yep. feel like your journey is so similar to several other developers, probably lots of developers out there that I've heard like we'll switch from music to art or development in college, like Jason Lingstor, Scott Talinsky, Chris okay. Corey, or like they've all like had that same background. They were musicians and built their band website. And I, I hear yep. that time and time again. It's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Do you think there's a correlation me, right? with music and development? Absolutely. Yeah. No, there's there's a there's a lot to be said on that. And um I don't think that it's an accident that our industry is littered with a bunch of of musicians and and just I think creative types in general, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's you know, there is this sort of right brain, left brain split. And I, I like to say, you know, my mom was an art teacher, my dad was an accountant. And it's like, here's oh, wow. this world that is like this kind of perfect blend of this that's simultaneously the science and ones and zeros and if else statements and the rest of it. And then on the other hand, you have this very sort of, you know, ineffable kind of vibe feel this, this thing that you can't describe, but you know, it when it's, when you see it and it's like, that's very much that, that kind of, you know, art lens and stuff like that, that sort of more, there's, there's the soul of it and then there's the science of it. And I think that, that the corollary with music is there's, you know, having studied music formally, right. It's like, there are rules, there are parallel fifths. There's, there's like things that you don't do. There's a, a whole structure and a language to it that, you know, you could print on the sheet music and there's people who are extremely skilled at being able to read that stuff and do amazing things with it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have these people that are just like, they don't know a lick of, you know, music notation or any or music theory, but they create some of the best music the world's ever seen. So it's, it's, it is this sort of perfect marriage, I think, of sort of like art and science. And I think that that plays out all the time in, in the world of design and development. However, I will say that if you'll allow me to just crap on things like agile processes and stuff. I feel like we've been sort of chopped up and kind of the soul and art and creativity of a lot of this stuff has been sort of sucked out in recent <laughs> years, which sucks. So, yeah, well, this might be a great segue. So uh, we're going to take it. Oh, Brittany says, no, it's not. Uh, Sorry, I didn't realize I was muted. Um, I just have one question before we segue. I just want to okay. know what was the deal behind the astronaut helmet? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll kind of continue on. So it's like mobile websites led to kind of thinking about components because it wasn't everything that was hard to make responsive is just like the header or the navigation or the ta data table or like, whatever tabs to accordions and stuff like that so it's more like oh it's just these pieces of it and that's what kind of like led to the world of kind of you know components and ultimately to things like atomic design but when responsive design and all this mobile stuff was like hitting and it was like brave new world we were all kind of figuring it out and there was a conference called Breaking Development Conference that was in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, a number of people sort of stayed after the conference for kind of a retreat, uh, including people like Luke Rabluski and Jeremy Keith and Liza Danger Gardner and like Stephanie Rieger, Brian Rieger, like all these like people who are had no business in the room being in the room with these people, but like through some sheer twist of fate or whatever I, I was I was invited to join while we are there talking about and discussing and philosophizing on the sort of future of the web and mobile and how this all hangs together uh, in the closet of this kind of Airbnb or whatever there was a bunch of uh, costumes and outfits including this kind of toy space helmet and because <laughs> we were talking about the future of the web 
it seemed to be like a nice avatar and uh we all like updated our, our profile pictures and all that stuff and uh kind of stuck so oh nice okay yeah i was just really curious yeah, about that oh it's sitting up there <laughs> yeah that is awesome bring it down into the frame and meeting people like randomly like that. And sometimes people like you have no business meeting. It's like one of the greatest things about conferences. I love and people say like networking, but it's just so much more than that. And that connection that you get. It's so great. Yeah. yeah networking it, it, feels too business like, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's it's there. There is something. And I think that I, I think you might feel the same, but kind of post COVID this, this appreciation when you are able to sort of share space, physical space and like share conversation with people, it is more than just conversation here, scan my QR code business card. It is, it's connecting at a, at a real human level. And I think that that's incredibly, incredibly special and, and um, a real sort of renewed sense of gratitude for what things like in-person conferences do for yeah. for not your mind but for your soul yeah. <laughs> so yeah yeah and local meetups and things like that like getting yeah. actually to talk to someone physically it's it's big especially for mental health uh, everything else yeah. something that i've been trying to do is like I've been flying to go see people just to like, hey, I know we talk online a lot and we've talked over the past few years. I'm just going to come down and see you. Is that okay? And it's, That's great. It's really helped me a lot to get out of the house and go do those things. So it's been, it's been tough for sure. That's great. Okay, now I'll pivot. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors and we'll come talk, come back and talk all about design. Cloudinary allows you to remove any unwanted backgrounds so you can reuse assets efficiently. You can also erase objects and people from images for placement in new experiences. For more engaging content, easily turn static images into dynamic animations and rely on smart cropping to always deliver assets with a focus on the most relevant objects to your brand. Cloudinary Programmable Media. Build faster with AI-powered image and video APIs. Okay. So design is pretty awesome. It's something I'm horrible at. So I always have fun talking about, it. but Brittany is like a design nerd. So she loves diving into, I mean, that in a, in a perfectly wonderful way, oh. uh, just like I'm a development nerd. Uh, the, the book that Brad put out, which I'm going to put on screen because I think everyone will probably recognize it, um, is called Atomic Design. So Brad, would you say this probably is what made you famous essentially uh in the design community yeah it's, it's definitely uh it's definitely put me out there i think i've you know i had had a, a number of projects and stuff before but nothing nothing like this this seemed to sort of be a a buzzword for for better <laughs> and for worse so it kind of, well, I think it gave us the mental model that a lot of people needed to explain not just component driven development, but how that breaks down and how you build up those components. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And that's like all these years later. And in fact, 10 years later, um, that's what it is. It's a, it's a mental model for like how to think about this stuff in this interconnected hierarchical way. Cause at the time, and this is sort of rewinding back to, you know, 2011, 2012, it was these, these ideas around sort of more sort of component driven things, uh, people like Natalie Down and Debenham and other people like that were, you know, and Nicole Sullivan, object oriented CSS, Jonathan Snooks, Max, but then things like bootstrap were like starting to come out where they're like, here's your alert and here's your button and all of that stuff. And, but it was effectively like, here's, vaguely components and you can make things out of those components. And so what I was trying to do is put a finer point on that and to basically say like, let's actually sort of blow this out a little bit and add and sort of stratify the layers of components that sort of effectively turn into this Russian nesting doll of the little things are included into bigger things, which are included into bigger things, which ultimately get put on a 
a full screen of a UI. And then of course you pour in sort of different content and state and all that good stuff into it. And, and just that it all influences one another, right? That it's like not uh, one or the other. It's like these things all are interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. And just high level for anyone listening that doesn't know what those are, like we start with atoms that grow into molecules that grow into organisms. And so those are all like little pieces that get put into bigger things, bigger groupings. And then we have templates that are like wireframes. Is is that a good word for it? Wireframes of like those organisms. And then you put those on pages. Good. I didn't have to describe it. Usually <laughs> you did a good job. I'm making sure yeah. that like, I explained it correctly because I'm like explaining yeah, it. Yeah. I, I, think, it and that feels... <laughs> I think that that's right. Yeah. I think that there's, there's like a few things that are worth like that's, that's generally, yeah, it's like these labels of atoms, molecules, and organisms I have. It's like, those are all components but of varying degrees of complexity, right? So yeah. atoms being the most sort of you know, you can't break them down any further, right? This is your checkbox. This is your, your label. This is your. You can't you get quirk, quirks. I can't even. Yeah, remember. you can't. Like the, the, the world of uh, design tokens has sort of come into play. And I was yes. like, oh, that was, if that was a concept when I created atomic design, I would have included oh, those subatomic particles of. We're going to have to do a revamp of, of atomic design and include that. <laughs> But yeah, but, but effectively these the these different layers of components, which again, fully arbitrary like classification, right? This is this is not yeah. necessarily like a way to organize your code. This isn't necessarily a way to organize your Figma files, or like I've had a decade of people emailing me saying, like, I'm about to have a fist fight with my design partner or my developer because they're arguing over whether or not something is an atom or a molecule. I'm like, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Like that, that's not, that's not what this is, but the, the labels are just there f to help sort of, or at least please record it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Atomic design fights.com. Yes. Uh, be awesome. But yeah. And then as you said, Brittany, it's like the, the, um, the, those components get put together and composed onto a page, but with like a template, what we're sort of calling a template, it's more like, here's all the stuff hanging together, but it's kind of a template, you know, it's, yeah. it is the content sort of skeletal system of what this page is going to be. And then it's really at the page level where we're able to sort of pour real representative content, you know, images, copy, application state are you logged in are you logged out are you a new user returning user like all of that stuff right the real <laughs> honest to goodness kind of product design and development work right like the design system needs to be able to support all of those different um various states uh that we see all these different page types right uh if this if the hero image works well with like a big piece of white space off to the the right of it so that the con so that the copy sitting on uh, on top of it is legible that's great but then the next hero campaign kind of comes out or whatever and the hero image is a crowded group of people uh it's not good all right so so something needs to happen and the answer is well we either you know limit the type of images that can go in it or we update this component at a more atomic level to be able to support, you know, more use cases and stuff. And that's, that's that sort of the result of this mental model is to create a real honest to goodness connection between the design system and the products that that design system serves. And that's what, like, in my view, that's the most, that's the thing I'm most proud about. And I think is still the most relevant because what we see in our work is, you know, the world of design systems has become a thing. There's design system teams. Those design system teams are often disconnected from the product team. So there's like the distance kind of what we tend to see is some form of distance and therefore it's kind of friction 
between sort of the design system and the products that the design system serves. So, so atomic design is this real way of kind of keeping all of these things orchestrated together and kind of co-located because they're one in the same, right? The, like the, the design systems components are the parts of the whole. Yeah. And having those smaller pieces like gives you that mobility to redo those designs you were talking about with like the templates and having the smaller pieces in built up into the organisms, you can redesign and move those and change those at a faster pace that keeps up with product, which I think is a great transition to talk a little bit about the layer cake approach. Can you explain that a little bit and how it provides a more accurate representation of the relationship between the design system and the product? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. And, and for teeing that up. So in our work, um, so I work as a principal and design system consultant at an agency called Big Medium. And we've been working with consulting on design systems, helping our clients build design systems and do, you know, all the sort of technical gory detail stuff, uh, the, all the development, all the governance, but all like the, the human side of it as well, right? The sort of cultural change, the organizational change, helping build out digital products using those design systems and kind of, you know, being able to kind of see that end-to-end -end process as we say in the enterprise world through, right? So here, we're gonna create a design system that is powering this mission critical uh, project that you're trying to get out the door at your organization. So that's that's the nature of our work. And we've been doing that for, for uh, over a decade now. And so what we tend to see as this world of design systems has kind of come online and it went from, again, this sort of vague sense of here's components and you can build things out of that. Now we have this, you know, this more defined and maturing uh, sort of design system practice that creates uh, actual like success, right? It's not just like, here's your kit of Lego parts. Good luck to you. Instead, what we're trying to do with our clients and what we see uh, across the industry is more filling in the gaps in between, just like here's components and here's digital products, and you use those somehow and you put them together. Yeah. What we're doing is putting like kind of a finer point on that where it's like, okay, you have a core design system. And this is the thing that's like really your definitional stuff. And this is the stuff that's meant to be shared across the entire organization. Things like, you know, form controls, tabs, accordions, all of your meat and potatoes kind of components, right? And these are things that whether your company has like 17 different brands with 17 different products, the idea is in general, here's the shape of these components that, and, and you can use those in your product. Sort of a layer cake on top of that, or a layer of the layer cake on top of that, is sort of different technical implementation. So a lot of the organizations we work with, you know, giant Fortune 500 companies have tons of different tech stacks under the sun, right? A bunch of, you know, whether it's native platforms, whether it's like, uh, you know, working with United Airlines, for instance, there's like seatback interfaces and like all these other kind of crazy things that you wouldn't oh, even yeah. kind of consider but like these are all things these are all kind of targets for right it's a user interface and so it can be served by a design system um so you kind of have this like technical specific layer so it's like if sticking with like the web if you have angular if you have react if you have like a bunch of these sort of products in your ecosystem it's a good idea to have your design system sort of ready in you know, in those uh, to be compatible with those frameworks so that teams can kind of use that stuff in their projects. So that's like this layer is like, here's a manifestation of this design system through the lens of a specific, whether it's framework or, you know, uh, technology language or whatever. Um, yeah. So that's, so that's a layer. And then sort of sitting on top of that is this layer that we, we've taken to call recipes um, and sort of the spirit behind that. And it's, I wish that there was like just one analogy to rule them all, but we tend to 
We're big on analogies, so we employ a lot of them, I guess, in, in different ones. But this idea of recipes, right? When you think of a recipe for food, right? You're, you're sort of taking these ingredients, you're sort of composing them, right? And sort of putting them together in a specific uh, way in order to mm -hmm. achieve a specific result, right? And in the case of design systems, one of the sort of things that we, having these common meat, potatoes, components, your form controls and stuff like that, all well and good. But if you're a product or a product family and you maybe even have many different um, software products that are sort of under your specific brand or something like that. So take like uh, Google, right? Google has material design as their core design system. And then sort of sitting on top of that are things like YouTube specific recipes, right? They sort of like yeah. use material designs, like sort of components and sort of design language, but then they're sort of like building their own product specific or sort of brand specific uh, components to uh, make their stuff work. And what we found with this recipe layer is like, so, so basically the core design system is stuff that's meant to be shared everywhere. And then this kind of recipe layer is there to be, to work within a product or maybe even a, a product family or something like that. And the idea behind this is it's like, well, we need all of these components and they ought to exist at the, at their own level, right? To try to stuff a bunch of YouTube specific stuff into material design. And then you have, of course, do the same for Gmail and Google Maps and the rest of it. Material design would be a freaking mess, right? It'd be totally unusable, right? So the idea is, it's like, okay, so let's have this, this layer on top of it that allows product teams and gives them the autonomy and control that they need in order to make great digital products while still creating things as components while still working with the grain of the core design system. So and this giving is you that what, consistency. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like you're, you have this through line, but you also are sort of relieving the pressure on the design system to have to be the arbiter of all UI at an organization. It's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And mm -hmm. So by sort of actually defining this layer and saying like, here's what lives here. We've, we've seen so many teams just like the, the, the weight from their shoulders drops, right? The design system teams have been trying to scramble to keep up with all of their sort of product, you know, roadmaps and timelines. And we need this and we need another version of this and we need this. It's like, we're able to be like, cool, you you do that and here's where you do that right here's like your sandbox and we'll help consult we'll help guide and we'll give you these more sort of primitive and sort of you know low level components but it's not our job to own <laughs> or you know produce all of the ui for this stuff so we found it to be really helpful alleviating the pressure for design system teams but also having less cranky product design and development teams, yeah. right? Because they're not having to wait, you know, the, the design system is no longer a bottleneck. They still have the ability to get things done. They know where to do they it are. in a, in a measured and deliberate way. Yeah. Do you find that like creating more to go back to atomic design, like atoms is better for that situation in those companies like you have more atoms accessible you may not have as many organisms because the atoms are more usable in many different products yeah that 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 tends to be the case although it, it, like more organisms tend to end up as um recipes so Recipe. for, take like okay. a global header for instance right if like yeah. you have the marketing website's header that has, you know, a logo and a primary navigation with like big mega drop downs and search stuff and sign in stuff. And then you have like another application that has like a more slim header that just has, you know, kind of a doesn't so even it's have almost a logo. Many design systems like growing yeah. in each like. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So some people call them like child design systems and stuff yeah. but like. The, the gist is, here's this place that isn't the core design system, 
that yeah. you're able to sort of like do the things that you need to do <clears throat> in order to create consistent, cohesive digital products within your specific sphere. And we found this to be just like such like a helpful strategy for uh, helping adoption of the design system and helping just kind of everyone sort of understand, oh, okay, here's where this stuff happens. And if I have questions with this, if there is a problem with one of those more atomic components and we have to do something at that level, then we can, but otherwise, you know, we could kind of carry on. So that's like, that, that's like a really big layer in this layer cake that we found to be really successful with our clients. And then kind of sitting on top of that, we have this idea of like uh, smart components. So this is like another sort of tech specific one um, where basically it's great to be like, here's your text field, right? It has a label, it has an input, it has some helper text and that's all well and good. But if you're, if you have 700 scrum teams or whatever at your organization and they're all having to sort of wire that same kind of dumb presentational component up to logic each and every time what we've seen with our clients is, you know, they're making a big mess and uh, doing duplicative work there. So there's mm -hmm. an opportunity to kind of have more sort of smart components for libraries where it's like, here's these form controls and they're all wired up to whatever the appropriate react, you know, forms library du jour is. Yeah. And, and that gives the teams like this more grab and go. All right. We take this in, we plug it in. It's all consistent. The validation works, the submission works, all of that stuff. So, so that's another way of like what we're trying to do with design systems is just make the right thing the easy thing to do, right? And so yeah. what we're doing with this like layered approach is like getting closer and closer and closer to like, here's what like true just grab and go stuff, you know, uh, like here's grab and go ingredients you can use as a product design and development team to make your lives easier. And then kind of like that, that's like the, the top layer of the layer cake is that product layer where you're sort of taking all of this what we've come to sort of term as like critical front end and user interface infrastructure, right? You're taking all of this infrastructure, you're taking all of these tools, you're taking all of these assets, you're taking all of these standards and guidelines, and you are doing something very real and concrete, right? Building software that actually goes out into the world and it's using all of this uh, infrastructure to undergird it all. Yeah, it's just like such a complex thing to think about, especially as your organization grows. And this is probably a good thing to point out is that this isn't going to be what every organization needs or does or uses. But as your organization grows, you'll find out that you need these more complex, like intricate layers. You'll also need more team because I'm just thinking about this. Like I'm building yeah. a spelt design system right now. So I build spelt components and I'm not thinking about all these other things. One thing I do like about spelt is um, I want to get into web components and your view on how you've evolved to think that web components is like the core thing that we need. And one thing I love about Spelt is that I know this technology really well, and I know that I can compile it to web components so yeah. that if I need to, I can transition that knowledge to web components at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We could definitely get into that. So when we like kind of coming back to this layer cake, like the core design system, right. As time goes on, whenever we're talking about that, it's like, we want these form controls, we want these tabs, we want these accordions to be used and consistently yeah. applied across the entire organization's digital landscape. And so when we're talking about tabs, we're talking about something that like we don't care about Svelte or React or Angular, but historically those sort of different technology implementations has been a real barrier to entry for this stuff where it's like, oh, here's the good looking tabs that work. They have all the right accessibility things sort of baked into them, but as a React specific library and I'm over yeah. here on Svelte or on Vue or on Angular. And so I guess I have to rebuild the exact same damn thing <laughs> using my syntax and language. And then you end up with like 
a bunch of duplicative effort, it's right? It's not going to be the same too. It's going to be just a little bit different. They're going to oh, miss yeah, yeah. one yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Different special flavors of broken. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, so I think that sort of the, this technology called web components, which has been kind of on the horizon for close, close to a decade or maybe even like longer now, but it's been like a wild journey. They finally gotten to a point where they're like mature enough where we can have a tab, we could build a tabs component, a web component, and we could build a text field component, an alert component, a button component, and all of that stuff as web components that could then sort of travel to and inter be interoperable with all of these different frameworks and CMSs and web products and all that stuff. So it's like WordPress site, cool. You could put the web component there. React app, cool. You could put the web component there. Svelte app, cool. It works there. Like So that's, that's huge. And when we talk about one of the biggest benefits of design systems, it is delivering this consistent, cohesive experience to everyone across the digital landscape. So web components is definitely like a great way of not having to repeat ourselves. Now there's, I think it's there's, the there's issues, there's, that, that's the ideal. I will, I will say it's like, there's, <laughs> there's definitely funkiness, uh, in, in web component land right now. Um, that's not insolvable or anything like that, but it is just worth pointing out that it's not like, oh, we've, we've reached utopia. Does that have <laughs> so, to do with like the shadow Dom? And I don't know a ton about web components, but I, I've heard like issues with the shadow Dom and how CSS doesn't like, or it won't leak out, which can be a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? So it's like basically yeah. web components utilizing the shadow Dom, which I, you can turn that off effectively, but like, um, with the shadow DOM, what you're able to do is implement your design systems button component in any environment and it will show up and it's not going to knock over chairs in the legacy, you know, code base. It's not going to sort of bleed its button styles into the rest of the page, but also that gross, crusty legacy web experience isn't going to destroy and get it's gunk on, on the design systems button. So, so it's like in a lot of ways, the shadow Dom is a great thing. Uh, I think the, the sort of most tricky bits of it, um, are starting to be resolved, which is good. But the, the biggest thing is like, if you have a label web component and an input web component, those are two different web components. They're their own little islands because yeah. of the shadow Dom. It's like, no, 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 you actually need those things to have a relationship in order to create the appropriate sort of accessibility tree and all that good stuff. So yep. it's like, so that, need to that's the big, <laughs> that was like the big thing, but thankfully that's, um, um, something called like element internals. So I, don't have to like get into all of that. I don't even really know all of it. My, my team of developers is like the ones kind of owning all of that, but cool. all to say shadow Dom is not, like a bad thing, but it is fundamentally different than building Svelte components or React components or Angular components or yeah. anything that just sort of deal with the light DOM. It's like, it is a different concept um, that requires its own kind of thought. But the nice thing is CSS custom properties penetrate the shadow DOM. So the idea is what we end up with is kind of creating this kind of clean set of web components that are uh, nearly all of the design systems we've worked on over the last seven, eight years have had some aspect of theming uh, applied to it, right? Where it's like, oh, we need to support, you know, when we're working with Condé Nast, like, you know, several dozen publication brands that have their strong, unique brands, brands like Vanity Fair and GQ and Wired and Vogue and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, well, we need this button to look like those brands. So the cool thing is with web components, you're able to sort of set up all the sort of themable sort of styling hooks as CSS custom properties, define your brand as CSS custom properties, and then basically flow the appropriate set through the components to achieve the right brand 
look and it feel. It sounds like the CSS custom properties kind of become the design tokens in that. Is there yeah. like a, another layer of design tokens behind that? No, no, no. You're exactly right. It's a, the design tokens basically yield a collection of CSS uh, custom properties. Or, but it's also worth saying they can these design tokens can be spit out as iOS compatible ones, yeah. Android compatible ones, like just a JSON file or like whatever like format text specific mm -hmm. format is needed in order to deliver these tokens to experiences. So yeah, so the, the CSS custom properties are the web embodiment of the design tokens. Of the design tokens. Yeah, that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. The other question I had on web components was going back to what you said about United Airlines and the seatback interface. Like, yeah. does that work across all these different interfaces and native platforms? And like, are we using web technologies on those? You can, you can. So there's there's tools like Ionic, right? That um, uh, helps create interoperable, uh, you know, iOS and Android apps. Like, and it's using web components. They actually, from that Ionic project, came a, a project called Stencil, which is um, mm -hmm. was slash is a popular uh, web component kind of library uh, or or tool environment to, to create web components so but yeah so you can create uh native experiences using web components but it's kind of like using like a you know like a hybrid kind of thing so you're not actually like writing like swift or whatever yeah. java um so so there's limits to what can be shared between these different environments and kind of coming back to this layer cake ecosystem like that's what we're doing with this like tech specific layer. So not everybody can consume the the web components, but what they can do is consume the design tokens. So you can yeah. have your Swift library corollary to the web component library, for instance, uh, really fascinating stuff. And like you said earlier, Brittany, it's like not every organization needs this. Uh, it needs to have this like super sophisticated you know, ecosystem with all five layers of this layer cake that we sort of talked about sort of spelled out. Um, but as organizations grow in size and, and scale and all of that stuff, and it's just like very, very rarely are you ever encountering an organization that has like fewer than five pieces of software that they're managing. Even like if you're like a startup, you got like internal tools, you got you know, your marketing website, you got the thing itself. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty wild, like how quickly these other layers start to become really useful. Um, but, but it is important to invoke, it's, it's called Gall's law, where it's basically like a complex system can't just be born from the ether, like it needs to grow and emerge from simpler systems. So highly encourage everyone to only build the design systems that to, to be as simple as possible until you find the need to introduce more complexity, right? Complexity isn't bad, but you just need to be able to validate it, justify it. Yeah, for sure. I like that as simple as possible until you need the complexity, but like starting out with that foundation of the layer cake and actually building and evolving with the brand as you're growing makes sense. Like to start with the right, structure yeah and not have to change course <laughs> no that's right that's right it's like a, it's it's a bit like a if you're able to position things in the right place uh out of the gate this whole goes easier and a lot of a lot of what we do and help our teams and clients do is help orchestrate and arrange and rearrange and sort of do that like delicate surgery work to, you know, make sure that things are flowing together in a, in a more sort of sensible way. Cause a lot of times like teams on their own will capture the right spirit of things, right? It's like, Oh, here's our design tokens. You're like, good job. You know, you're, you're doing it right. It's like, here's our component library. And you're like, good job for the most part. But so a lot of times it's like, we help them kind of take it from a good start, but where they they might have kind of put things in weird places or it, it just isn't hanging together 
all that well and we're able to sort of come in and sort of rearrange things with them in order for them to be a lot more successful. So that's that's a lot of the joy I find in my job is sort of helping take these teams from kind of like good starts to great and like really sophisticated ecosystems and processes to govern all of this stuff. Cause it's, again, complexity isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's like, it needs to be like defined. You need to understand what it all is and what its relationship is to one another, how to use it. And so we do a lot of like handholding and training and like working and tucking in really closely with the product teams who are consuming this stuff to really make sure that like they understand how to use all of this great infrastructure. Because if you just kind of put the components out there, you publish a design system, and well, why isn't anybody using it? And it's like, <laughs> gotta, gotta have the instruction manual and do some handholding, right? Before you can expect people to just sort of suddenly buy in from the top. That I wish are, I could do like know. four different like podcasts right now, because I want to talk right. about design tokens. I want to talk about this like product layer and how we like documenting and how we share the design system and advocate for it and get it out. And then mm -hmm. I know we didn't even like really get time to touch on a global design system, but I really want to challenge everyone to go and read the blog post. I know um, Alex is going to share that and we'll put it in the show notes, but um, just, I feel like all of this kind of built on as you've worked from your agency days, like, each time you've done something like it's kind of just built up to this thing. And now you see this need for this global design system. And I agree, like we just have every organization out there now knows that design systems are something that helps them be more efficient and more like standardized. They, they grow faster, everything like the design system helps. But yep. now we have like millions of design systems out there. And yeah. what if we just had one <laughs> yeah well it's, a, it's just like millions of design systems that are all that all contain the literal exact same things just implemented a little <laughs> bit different like you were talking about earlier it's like oh the the one in svelte is better than the one in angular in in just different and weird ways there's there's real no substantial or justifiable difference between a lot of these things like if you if you think about an alert component there's like what we see working with dozens and dozens of different design systems and design system teams they're all spinning their wheels creating the same alert component and guess what there's an error variant of that alert component guess what else there is there's, there's a warning, warning error <laughs> there's a warning and there's, there's a success there's probably like a general like info one and maybe some like arbitrary n number of other ones and that's fine mm -hmm. right but the idea is it's like, why in the absolute world are the world's designers and developers sort of spinning their wheels, creating the same thing again and again? Like, that's not what makes their organization or their business unique, right? So it's like the this idea of a global design system, it's like what the, the, the vision, right? And it's like, I, I care deeply about the web and helping the web you know, continue to grow to be this amazing medium that is like truly unique and relatively idealistic compared to a lot of other things that are out there. Yeah. And it's like, how do we free up the world's designers and developers to work on more substantive issues than creating and recreating an alert for the 17th time? Like it's just, well, it's not. Also while also making it more accessible and more usable because yeah. not every single one of those design systems is making them as accessible or as good theoretically <laughs> as they could be. I mean, like, let, let's just take this for a second. Like if we had a, a text field component, right. That takes a label and always associates it with the input that's underneath it right like first name and then here's the input field last name here's the input yeah. field think about how many instances of text fields exist on the web and how each time each and every one of those right pre-designed -pre systems or consumable components each one of those was a manual process to associate that label with that input right 
so mm -hmm. much room for error. And when you look at projects like the Web A Million and all the stuff, you know, accessibility reports, we suck. We're, we're terrible at it. But also, why should we have to associate that label with the input each and every time? It's like, it's yeah. nonsense, right? So let's like, if we had a text field component that just does that for us, immediately, like pretty immediately, the world's web experiences get a whole lot more accessible, right? And we all know that we love forms on like any government site, like go, yeah. go to a government yeah. site and try to use yeah. a form. Or, or and that's really like one again. I mean, like thousand. if you are using the web, right? Not just like, you know, necessarily like yeah. reading like a, a blog post or whatever. Like if you are using the web, you are interacting with forms and to just mm -hmm. kind of get those right and make it, again, make the right thing the easy thing. If we are able to do that, like that would be just such a big win. And like, it just, it, it truly breaks my heart to see what are, you know, some of brilliant minds, absolute brilliant minds, all rebuilding the same freaking date picker component and are just trudging along. And it's like, man, we got, we got more important and more sort of great things to do with our time on earth than rebuilding these things and again, ai will again, take care of so all of that I, for us. it'll be good <laughs> yeah i and maybe yeah it's like yeah. and it, it, it can help in certain respects so like when we talk about this stuff like i think what we're seeing the trajectory for this is like it, with or without a global design system or with or without ai or whatever things are becoming more commoditized right yep. these low yeah. level sort of ui elements and that is not a bad thing right like right. it's it's there is a lot of i understand people's trepidation of like like what do i do the answer is like use your brain and your judgment and your moral compass to to make sure that what's going out into the world is is sound and good and ethical and stuff like yeah. that like i like we got we got bigger fish to fry <laughs> and that's that is the beauty and that's the promise of design systems is to alleviate the burden of that repetition right to people but we're now kind of we have this like meta problem yeah. on our hands where it's like oh we're building things within the sphere of our organizations which is understandable because that's where we have influence right but at right. the end of the day wouldn't it be great if we didn't all have to do that again and again and again yeah, I know you touched on it in the blog post too, but like OpenAI and some of those organizations are like trying to work towards some of these goals, but like yeah, if we can Open all, UI, like, imp important distinction, open UI. <laughs> what did I say? Open, open AI? AI. <laughs> oh my God, open UI. <laughs> I know yeah. we've had Greg Whitworth on before and we did a whole podcast on open UI. Beautiful. Apparently AI is on my brain, which we also didn't get to talk about, but um. I, that was a great listen, like looking at what they're doing. And I think all of us, if we could just come together and put those brilliant minds, like you said, yeah. into Very eye -opening. on this. Yeah. It would, yeah. it would be great for the future of design systems. Well, yeah. we, we could probably continue to like steal the rest of your day, Brad, but we do have <laughs> to kind of wrap things up. Um, any last minute thoughts that, that we missed on before we kind of move over to our picks? No. Nothing glaring. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. plenty to do. Yeah, I, like I said, I we could we could do about seven more podcasts. So that's <laughs> the hard part. Um, we are going to jump into our perfect picks next. Um, I have Brittany's open, so let's go there first, Britt. Okay. So I picked a repo, a GitHub repo of awesome design systems, and just towards the bottom of that readme is just basically a list of like a lot of good design systems. And I, I just like to reference this as I'm building components. Like Brad said, we're all like build, rebuilding the same things over again. I like to look and see what other people are doing. So this is a reference point for me a lot of times to go through. Um, I have one qualm with it is they don't have one of my favorite design system documentation sites out there, which is Wanda, which is kind of the second piece of my perfect pick. Um, I think this site is beautiful. Um, I like their documentation, how it's laid out, and I like Wanda Design System. So those are my two picks. Cool. Uh, Brad, you have something kind of crazy for your pick. What is this thing? <laughs> Over the head. <laughs> so I uh, so I am capitalizing on 
on entering my midlife crisis. I'm turning 40 <laughs> uh, this this summer, and um, I'm a musician, as we covered. And uh, mm -hmm. but I haven't had a chance to really kind of exercise, you know, playing music, going to shows. Kind of post COVID uh, was like, it was like drinking a tall glass of water after being in the desert for a number of years and being like, Oh, and I'm like, Oh yeah, I know how to do this. <laughs> and in fact, I know a lot of other people, some of whom are like legit rock stars. Like, you know, they've, you know, released albums, they've toured the world. They've like done, done the thing. Um, and so basically what I am doing is creating this one night only benefit concert with 40 what's 40 plus musicians um many of whom are web people people like chris coyer and dave rupert ben callahan and other other people in the web world are going to be sort of performing on this but we basically have this one night only big giant super group concert uh that's going to take place in pittsburgh on august 17th and it's just so amazing really really are we fun. gonna have some chris coyer banjo action yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He, he is playing banjo and Dave Rupert's playing bass and Ben Callahan's singing and Rebecca Garza Bortman, who is a beautiful designer. Uh, she created the YouTube logo, for instance, her and her husband, uh, their wedding went viral because they, uh, wrote and performed a rock opera for their wedding uh oh and I'm so it's like it. again like just through my weird life experience all these all those conferences like we were sort of talking about at the at the outset it's like meet all these people and they're all really super interested and super talented in ways you know going beyond just kind of web and design stuff um so we're i'm stealing their <laughs> their their talents and we're all going to share this beautiful thing together so, so you're opening this up to the public is there a maximum amount of people that yeah it, the goal is to sell it out it's got wow. 800 person capacity at this it, yes. uh, the venue is uh it's mr small's theater in pittsburgh and i actually i interned there unpaid summer internship uh, back in the day, but it's this old converted church into a music uh, uh, sort of venue. And nice. I've seen so many great shows over there over the years. And it's just like a really cool venue. So I'm, they gave it I'm to you for so free, excited. right? For all those hours you worked for free? <laughs> yeah, they should. <laughs> they were, it took me a lot of like convincing to get them. Uh, the, it's like, it's like, explain this to me again. <laughs> You're like, no, like, trust me, I know. Trust me, it's, trust me, it'll be cool. It's <laughs> fine. Like, trust me, it's good. Before yeah. you go off that, will you go back up to the top and hover over the head? I was trying to. to... <laughs> I just wanted to show that to the world because that's that was great. The Easter eggs are awesome. I love it. Key, keys, yeah, keyframe animations. That's a. This was um my friend uh, Trent Walton, who uh, really prominent web designer. Uh, I got reached out to him about the the poster. Uh, I was like, could you could you do it? But as I gave him the brief, he's like, it's like I have an idea, and he enlisted. <laughs> His friend, Brazilian designer friend uh, Robert Roberlin. I don't know how to how to pronounce it exactly, but um, he created this great poster for it uh, awesome. that I have linked up in the footer. Um, but anyways, yeah, and I I was like, ooh, this would be fun to turn into a website, and so that's what I oh, sort of set out to do. <laughs> poster is actually like if you go down to the footer, you can link out to just the poster, and it'll show you the full thing. Uh... Is it this one? Yep, no. that yeah, that one. Yes. Yeah. So that, <clears throat> cool. that's what was produced. That's awesome. It's Hopefully we'll see this on some buildings. I'm going to have to ask my wife. This sounds like a fun trip. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Come, come one, come all. And like, that's again, back to Mr. Small's skepticism. They're like, like, are people going to show up to this? And I was like, one of those, like, do you know who I am? Kind of, it's like, it's like, don't worry about it. Like I have, I've influenced somewhere, not, not oh musically, goodness. but I can, I can fill a room full of people. Yeah. Easily. <laughs> easily. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed to do my pick now because it's so weak. 
Mine was kind of lame too, I'm, honestly. I'm, I'm not filling a room or anything, but I, I went to see this movie. That's about it. <laughs> uh, so I went and saw Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I, After all the trailers, I thought it was going to be horrible. It turned out to be okay. Uh, I, I really have always loved the Aquaman series. so It's I've watchable. Had, it, it's that like... I think IMDb has around oh, right there a six out of ten. Uh, that's probably accurate. I might put it a <laughs> little lower even, but um, I definitely it it could wait for you know in home streaming. Uh, Don't go see it in theaters, but watch it when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was decent. It was a nice continuation of the first film. So awesome. uh, I'm throwing no concerts though. Sorry, sorry everybody. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much for coming on CodingCat.dev podcast. We really appreciate it. Sounds like we could have you on about 12 more times this year. So uh, I'll see if Brittany can uh, get that booked up with you and, and get yeah, that going. Yeah, sounds great. We'd love, we'd love to, <laughs> to chew on some more stuff with you. That's great. Worst, yeah. worst case, it sounds like we might be able to see you in August. Yeah. yeah. We'd love to see you. That would be, be a lot of fun. Sweet. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Peace.